can you can ask them. We'll talk about them. There's a book. Uh, there's booklets too. Um, these are from the, the. What this is? It's it's essentially a journal where you have the words of the Bible on the left side, and on the right side you have places you can fill stuff in. So if you're a note taker, um, which uh, that's great if you are, and it's great if you're not. Uh, there's actually a lot of good preachers who think that if, you're pre- if someone's preaching, yeah, you shouldn't take notes. And if someone's teaching, you should. And we're doing both, you know, so as you wish. But those are that. If you want one, just raise your hand up and uh, Zach will throw you one um, right now. All right. Everybody got one? Wants one? Um, we come to chapter 11. Oh, yeah, by the way, if you do have one of those, we're going, to be look, we're going to be starting and actually looking the whole time at page 68. 68 in this. So if, you're, if you're looking for what page we're on, we're on page 68. Thank you. Yeah, we have, she's a teacher, so she has to listen. We've come now to the last third of the book of, of Mark. And now the next... The next, the last third, you know how this is one week. This is one week in the life of Jesus. It's, and the reason why is it's the climax. Everything in Mark has been moving fast, moving fast. Early on, we we read that Jesus is this God Man, and then in the next chapter, we read that they're going to kill him, and people who don't hang out together are going to kill him. Jewish religious leaders as well as Roman leaders, everybody's out to get him. People who don't get along well are all going to conspire to get this guy dead, right? And so this one week that's taken up in these chapters, uh, it's a fascinating thing. And we're going to look now at something that's typically talked about as uh, a a Christian day of worship called Palm Sunday. Uh, And it's a very odd passage. And we're going to read together. Actually, I'll read it out loud from Mark chapter 11. Uh, I'll read verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went around, went away, rather, and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that had been cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. And when he had looked around at everything... As it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. There was um, some decades ago, there was a man, a woman rather, named Lady Diana. Uh, it was Lady Diana Cooper. It's not um, Princess Diana, 
but she was giving a reception um, for another royalty in England, and his name was Sir Robert Mayer, and it was his 100th birthday, which is why they were celebrating. She uh, herself was rather old and didn't have great eyesight, but was still really, um, re- really engaging with people. And she was talking to this woman at the reception, uh, at the birthday party, and this lady knew a lot about her. And yet she couldn't quite tell you know, who she was, but they were enjoying their conversation. And then at one point, the lady she was talking to held her hands up, and she noticed these exquisite diamonds and jewelry. And she realized it was Queen Elizabeth. She was, sta- she was standing there talking to this lady who knew all about her, but it was Queen Elizabeth. And she was like, oh, ma'am, uh, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it was you uh, until I saw your ring. And I didn't see a crown, so I didn't recognize you. And this is what Queen Elizabeth said back to her. She said, tonight was so much about you and Sir Robert that I didn't need the crown. That I wanted to come in a common way to celebrate with you. Uh, th- that was shocking for, for Lady Cooper. She, had n- she didn't have a category for that, right? Like, why would my queen come and just be there, but not have a crown, no royalty, nothing about her that would cause me or anyone else to recognize her. In, in a way, that's actually what's happening in this passage. Jesus is, he doesn't fit the world's categories. He's always blowing up the categories we have. As soon as we think we understand Jesus, boom. No idea what he, what he means. As soon as we start trying to enculturate Jesus into our own world and life, boom. He blows it up. And this passage is one of the pinnacles of that idea. And here's the deal, guys. We don't know Jesus at all if we don't know him as both commoner and king. Okay? We don't know Jesus at all unless we know him as both king and commoner. So that's, we're just going to look at that very briefly and then do questions about it. You know, what's the first thing we know? I mean, think about this. Over half this passage is about a cult, a baby donkey. <laughs> Why? Well, the first thing Jesus does is he tells his followers, he says, go into this village in front of you, and you're going to find this donkey. It's a baby donkey. And you're going to tell, tell them, you know, if they ask, the Lord, the master, has need of it. Now, there's been some debate by scholars through the years that Jesus had either prearranged that or that Jesus could foresee what would happen. Okay? Now, either way... And I have an opinion on that, but we're not getting into my opinions based on what I've studied and stuff. But here's the deal. Jesus, is in, he has a plan. He's in complete control. He doesn't say, well, go in and search around and see if you can find... He's like, no, here's the plan. Here's the mission. You guys go do this. That's what a king does. A king goes in and uses whatever he wants. That, that's what someone who's in control does. Um, and then they do that. Um, it's, he has an authority. And then, once he gets there, they throw their cloaks upon him. So the way in this culture, what you would have is you would have an outside cloak. If you remember the story with a beggar, and he throws his cloak away, it's as if saying, everything I have, the things that keep me shaded from the sun, the things that keep me warm when it's cold, the things that cover my nakedness, I'm taking that off and I'm throwing it here because there's something greater going on. That's essentially what's going on here. Now, as weird as that is to us, it wasn't necessarily that atypical then, but it was only typical for royalty. 
And then to take your, over, your cloak like that and your robe and begin to throw them down on the floor, not only on top of, a, of an ass, like a saddle. Uh, he's, they're also throwing branches, which again, this is a royalty thing. This is what you would only do for a very special person. One of the ways, um, even more contemporarily, we could think about that, there was a president in Egypt, and his name was uh, President Nasser, which is sort of like could be any, almost any president in Egypt, right? It's kind of an uh, Egyptian name. But he was coming up to a, a, a town in Egypt on his way to Cairo, and it's called Aswan. That's the name of the town. And he has his motorcade, and he's in his limousine, and he's going up 10 miles out. The crowd from the town comes out to greet him, they have him cut off the engines to his motorcade. They have him tie, you know, they tie ropes to his motorcade, true story. And for 10 miles, they pull him in until he's in the center of the town. That's a, that's a picture of what's going on here. That would have been a Middle Eastern thing for a very important dignitary or king. You would give yourself over you would sacrifice on behalf of this king to show him his due respect and the authority that you lived under. That, that's what's going on here. It, it's, it's that kind of thing. This Jesus is looked at as a king. People have been following. He just raised a guy from the dead. Think about this. He just raised Lazarus from the dead, we're told in John chapter 11. And now he comes in in this triumphal entry because who doesn't want to see a guy who's raised people from the dead, who's made people who are blind see, who's healed whole towns and cities, who's cast out evil spirits, who, I mean, it just goes on and on. Everywhere he went, thousands of people, five and 10,000 people in that day and age would follow him around. Crazy. And some people followed him because they thought he was like Miracle Max, right? Like he would just do stuff. And they were like, Maybe if we watch, we'll see him do something else that's really cool. Other people had a sense of like, yeah, we actually believe he's maybe the anointed one. That maybe he is the king we've been waiting for for 400 plus years. And yet as he rides in and there's all this fanfare and there's all these chants and shouts, um, instead of riding in on a steed, he rides in on a donkey. A baby donkey. A baby donkey who's never been sat on before. Uh, it's a little bit like the president of Hell's Angels riding into Daytona for bike week on a, you know, like on a big wheel. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a little bit like the president of the United States, let's say, who rides into the United Nations um, instead of in a limo, like in an old Chevy. These, these things don't fit. They contradict. But what we're actually finding here is in Jesus, they don't contradict. They're actually somehow coming together in what's called a paradox. Now, in our minds, we don't necessarily understand the idea of paradox. Because a paradox is when there's these multiple things that seem to not work together, that are included together, that do come together, and yet we don't have a category for it. And so what we tend to do is like, well, they contradict each other. There's no way that could be. Right? So some Muslim friends of mine, for example, and maybe this is some of you, or we think this way, whether you're Muslim or not, is you go, well, Jesus couldn't have come into the world by, through a sexual union. That's dirty. But we also think he's a holy prophet. 
you see? And the problem that it has is that's, that's two separate things. It can't be united. But in some way, even though it's a misunderstanding, those things can come together. And that's what we're seeing here. Even as he walks in, everybody else is walking around him. What's he doing? He's riding on a donkey. A silly little donkey. But he's riding. Guess what other pilgrims into Jerusalem did? Nobody rode into Jerusalem. Everybody walked as a pilgrim. They would all come over the mountain, mostly from the east. And they would go through the eastern gate, which is called, um, which is called the, uh, the Golden Gate. I don't know if that's what San Francisco's Golden Gate was named after. Probably not. But they're coming into this, right? Jesus is brown skin. And he's just a little higher than everybody else because he's sitting on this donkey. And everybody's cheering these things about him. Now, why would he do that? Why would he be so lowly and yet also this royalty? There's a verse in the Old Testament. There's oracles from of old who have spoken this. And there are ones we read earlier. Um, I don't have my book with me. But it's from Zechariah 9, verse 9. And it says this. Your king will come to you, but he will come to you lowly and riding on a donkey, even the foal or, or the colt of the donkey. Do you see that? The ancient oracles spoke of this. Hundreds of years before Jesus, it spoke of this one who was great, but who had come lowly. He was strong and powerful, but also gentle and quiet and unassuming. And that's what Jesus is doing as he comes upon into this place. He's fulfilling the scripture. Now, a side note on that is this. Everything Jesus does is to fulfill everything written throughout the Holy Bible. Everything Jesus does, it, the whole Bible is about Jesus. It's easy for us to tend, you know, and I've done this so many times. You go like, well, how does this work? How does, how, you know, can, can we find anything about dinosaurs in the Bible? Or are there different, you know, we just, you know, what about science in the Bible? And, you know, all these different questions that we have, which are good questions, honestly. But none of those questions mean anything unless we understand, first and foremost, the central, the centrality of not only the Bible, but of arguably the whole creation. If Jesus actually came back from the dead, nothing's the same. Practical question. What do you think about Jesus coming back from the dead? What do you think about the resurrection of a guy who didn't just get resuscitated somehow, but who actually came back to life and will never die again? That's a game changer. Nothing's the same, depending on how you answer that question. Jesus comes on a on this donkey who's never been sat upon. You're like, well, so what? It's a baby donkey. Every other animal that came into Jerusalem, it's estimated that 255,000 animals, sheep predominantly, would be killed as sacrifices in Jerusalem during the week of Passover. Think about that. That's a ton of animals. That's a lot of blood. (laughs) That's not a very pretty city. It doesn't smell great after a couple days, right? And yet Jesus... And all those animals, they were never used before being brought in as a sacrifice to God in any kind of common way. They were never used for work. They had never been sheared. Uh, They'd never been marked 
by branding. They'd never been, none of these things. They had been pure only for use in the temple. In other words, they were set, they were normal animals, but they were set aside for use in, before God, for holiness, for purity, which only God has. In the same way, Jesus comes in on this animal that's never been used for anything. And he sits on it. And by virtue of that, he's actually making a claim that he is coming in, not only the animal, but that he is coming in with purity. He's royalty, but he's also human. He's divine, but also human. And he's coming in on this animal that's not only fulfilling the the scripture, the ancient oracles of prophecy, but he's also saying, I am that one. You see, Zechariah 9 says, the one who comes in on a donkey, which people would have been like, what? The one who comes in on a donkey is actually the king over everything, and all the nations will give honor and glory to him. That's what Jesus is doing here, you see? You see that tension that we, he flows back and forth? You know, they also start crying out things. What did they cry out? Very briefly, the word Hosanna means save us. God save us. So people are crying out. And, you know, it kind of come to be like, you know, in some, you know, Christian circles, they might say like, hallelujah. You know, it kind of come to mean that. But really it was still, these words were God save us. And so there's this idea that that this is the one who God's sending to save. The, The language of the son of David. David, the king of Israel, thousand years before, was told someone from your one of your descendants will become an eternal king. He will rule forever. He will never die. And so when they're saying son of David, they're waiting for that one. And they're actually saying, we believe you might be that one. Okay. These are the kinds of things they're saying as he moves forward. In the Roman world, there was, there was this uh, tradition. And that is a, a commanding officer, a military general who won a major victory, would ride into the town and he would be on his steed, which is just always prancing and he's always having to have it under control. And behind him would ride someone else saying, remember, you are but mortal. Remember, you are but mortal. To remind that king, that prince, that military leader, that although they were powerful and strong, they also would die. That's not being said of Jesus. There's no one who's whispering in his ear, remember, you are but mortal. They were hoping that he was the one who would never die and always restore the, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. And yet Jesus is blowing that picture up uh, even at that. Where would a king be coronated in that day? In the temple. A king would come into the town where the temple was, a city where the temple was, in this case, Jerusalem, and they would go into the temple, and it was there that they would be shown to be the king. They would go through all the rituals to actually coronate them as the king. And this is so, I mean, look what Jesus does. He goes up to the temple when he gets there. He comes through this crowd, and everybody's shouting his name and saying, you're the king, we believe you're the one. And he goes into the temple and he looks around at everything like, where will I go to be coronated? And he does nothing. Like perhaps one of the most anticlimactic issues, arrivals of any king. He just goes in, he looks around, he's like, eh, I'm kind of tired. Let's go back out (laughs) to Bethany. Come on, guys. 
And they're going like, well, you, we just got welcomed in and you just looked around like any other pilgrim. What, what gives? There's something very small. He doesn't, give, he, he doesn't lead a coup d'etat over the Romans. He doesn't begin to inspire people like Brave, William Wallace does in Braveheart, like, let's win! He none of those kind of things. Um, he, he doesn't even give a good speech. He walks right back out in peace. Now, we'll see in his case tomorrow, in our case next week, it doesn't say peaceful for long with him. But again, it's that juxtaposition of both peace but strength. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German uh, pastor and theologian, who actually ended up being executed in Nazi Germany for his beliefs. And, and he says something, in, uh, it was called a lecture to the congregation in Barcelona. He says this, he says, A king who dies on the cross must be the king of a rather strange kingdom. Only those who understand the profound paradox of the cross can also understand the whole meaning of Jesus' assertion. My kingdom is not of this world. A day is coming when the prophets uh, look to the king in the center of the throne, in the center of the city, and expecting to see this lion, this triumphant lion. And do you know what he sees? A lamb. A lamb who is slain. That's what's happening here. This paradox is simply this. The king is also a commoner who's also a king. It's, it's the C.S. Lewis quote we read. And it's, the, it's that a knight is both strong and powerful, but also humble and weak. Right? It's that tension that's going on here. In other words, that king who's a commoner who's a king who's a commoner, it, power comes through his weakness. Royalty is also shown with his humility. Life is shown in his death. The heavenly is shown in him as being earthly. The divine is being shown in a human. And you know when he's coronated? It's not in that temple at that time. It's on the temple of the cross. A lot of times Christians will say, well, he's vindicated or he comes into power, he's victorious when he comes back from the dead. No. Jesus on the cross alone brings these things together. Meek is a good word. And meek means strength mixed with weakness. Again, to us, things that are contradictions. But here's the deal. Every human heart longs for that to be true. I was looking at the BBC even this morning. And I'll show you this just quickly. I've gotten rid of all my other... Just word of personal... Um, admission. I've gotten rid of all the other all the other apps, all the other news sources, because I just believe they're all coming for such slants that it's repulsive to me. So I go to the BBC because I feel like it's a little more of a worldly perspective. It's, you know, it leans a little bit to one of the sides of the spectrum, but that's, you know, I, I want to get something that's as balanced as possible, right? Okay, so that's why, the, and I, in the international piece, but I want you to, here's the I'll just read like 10 of them. Here's the 10 headlines from this morning alone. Violent clashes intensify amidst Hong Kong protest. England cricketers in epic win against Australia. Yeah, it didn't really matter. 
A Brexit deal is now touch and go, says Johnson, who's the Prime Minister of England. Uh, Mallorca mid-air crash kills seven. L.A. policeman who said sniper shot him made it up. Israel says it struck Iranian struck down an Iranian drone site in Syria. Rohingya marked two years of refugee crisis. Passengers angry at British Airways' silence amid strike chaos. Trump, UK is losing the anchor around its ankle. Do you hear that? At both individual levels, a few individuals are mad at somebody. Uh, a few individuals or a lot of individuals are being killed in airplane crashes or mass shootings. Political leaders are lashing out against other political leaders. Military forces are lashing out against other military forces. Don't you long for a king like this? How else will there ever be world peace? How else will, how else will peace ever come into this world unless the one who's all-powerful is also all-humble? Not only at a cosmic level, at an international level, at a national level, at a personal level. We need that too, don't we? We need to know that the one who alone can judge us rightly can also love us deeply. That's what Jesus does for us on the cross. Today, here's what it means to be a Christian. is It means that we actually rely upon that king who's a commoner because he can relate to us but he can also take us to a place we've only longed to be, and that is where all things are restored and peace reigns under a great power. All right. Lord, use these words to change us, to make us long for the right things, um, to work into our skepticism, and many other things we need. Would you, Lord, use these, we ask, through Christ. Amen. Okay, we have time for a few questions, and we can also continue them at any time down the road. So, what's that prick in anybody's conscious or heart? By the way, we, we respect, we expect and respect all questions. Okay? And it can be about what, we just, what I just taught on, or it can be about Christianity in general. That's fine. Going once. <laughs> going twice and a hand goes up and back you said, you said no one had ever ridden into Jerusalem like that uh, ever or? yeah so w- w- what he's referring what Wesley's referring to is I said no one had ever ridden into Jerusalem like that what I meant to say if I didn't is no commoner no, no person who was on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem would have done that and probably never did Anybody who would have done that would have been a ruler in charge, and probably in this case, a Roman ruler. Like even the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, they would have already been there. They were the ones who were, you know, they they were doing the religious leader stuff. Uh, They weren't writing in. Was it sort of an impromptu thing that people were doing? Uh, Do you feel like, I don't know, whenever I read that, it seems so unceremonious to be writing this on donkey. Do you kind of read that to see it as like because these same people that are praising it now are jeering at the time? Yeah. 
later in the week they're saying instead of praise him they're saying crucify him yeah, right like it's, it's funny to me that I guess it's sort of strange like this is this big deal that we make Palm Sunday about right now right and it probably was it almost probably didn't yeah, it's a good question. Is was this just a? I mean, was it hardly didn't register with people? Was it kind of a blip on the radar, or is this a big deal? Right? Yeah, it's. I mean, Bible scholars go back and forth. I mean, at least the ones I've read, which is not extensive, but it's some, right? But here's this seems to be different because of the way they treat him. They treat this. The, the donkey wouldn't be the way a leader like this would have ever ridden, unless. And some people there are probably aware of the Old Testament prophecy of Zechariah 9. But the, it seems that a lot of people are just along for the ride because they saw these amazing miracles and they saw him bring a guy back from the dead. And Lazarus is probably right there with him, the guy who came back from the dead. So I think, I think there was probably a mix like there are even today about Jesus. There's people who are just like kind of checking things out, which is understandable. And there's people who are also like maybe even like more extreme than anybody would think. Anyway, that's okay. Anybody else? One, one more question. Okay.